Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Wolverine 24-7 podcast, your audio source for all things Michigan football, basketball, recruiting, hockey. We do it all here. We do it pretty much every week. Last week, uh, I had to go to Purdue on, on Thursday. Hopefully, you read all my coverage from down there. It was uh, quite the game and an interesting put Michigan basketball in an interesting situation, which I will discuss later on in this show. Uh, but anyway, we couldn't get the schedule to work on, on the other days, so... We took last week off, but we are back. Well, at least, at least Isaiah and I are. Steve is is out for today, but still got a loaded show. We're going to talk uh, some recruiting, some coaching shuffling or potential coaching shuffling. Uh, we're going to talk basketball. I have a little bit on hockey that I want to bring up, and then we're also going to talk about the Michigan sport that has the brightest next 15 months. So basically, next season. Uh, and, and, the, and then the end of the season included. So we'll talk about that as well. Uh, but first, we want to take some questions. First one, uh, we'll, we'll take this one from Aaron Kleckner, who said, What happened with Jarrett Patterson? I can't assume Michigan is that confident in getting both Nicholas petit Frere and Calvin Anderson. And I don't think anyone would necessarily be confident in getting both. Um, but Isaiah, I guess, what, what was your thought on on Jarrett Patterson and and did the shift uh, is that a sign that Michigan thinks that they are if they're not the leaders they're still in it with the other two it's not it wasn't Michigan that had you know stopped you know working on Patterson they wanted Patterson just as much as they wanted as wanted him from you know when they started really pursuing him hard here in the offseason it was Patterson's decision that Michigan wasn't where he wanted to be, uh, which I know isn't something that you're going to want to hear as a Michigan fan. Uh, to, to me, the impression that I've gotten, uh, having kind of seen how this went down and, and, and everything and talking to my sources and everything, was that it, Notre Dame just kind of, they, yeah, they got in late. They didn't have, uh, as we noted in the, pre, in the pre-show here, that you know, they, didn't have, uh, they didn't even have an offensive line coach. Well, and the guy but, that they hired, you know, with all respect to him, it's not like he was this home run recruiting hire, but Notre Dame still put on a pretty strong pitch overall. Yeah, and there's just, in, in some ways, you know, especially when you're a West Coast guy, he's from Mission Viejo, uh, it's a very different area. I have family from there. I actually lived in Mission Viejo for a year when I was younger. Uh, but uh, it's, to me, it kind of came down to, you know, all right, he is, he want, it's either stay home or go east and Notre Dame it just seemed to be a place he liked better. It wasn't the fact uh, that Michigan had cooled on him or anything like that. It just seemed like he likes Notre Dame better than Michigan, unfortunately, even though that they got into this game late. But you know what? Michigan got into this game kind of late. It's not like Michigan had been pushing hard for him for a year or anything like that. They kind of got into this uh, after the football season as far as really pushing for him and uh, trying to get him and it's been a position of need and everything. They got him on campus actually for the UCLA basketball game when they had all the, uh, had all the old Mish guys, uh, here as well. But, uh, it, unfortunately it is, it doesn't really have much to do with what Michigan wanted as much as what Patterson wanted. So, to, you know, to me, that's, uh, that is just what it is. So uh, David Herrick also asked, what are the chances of getting back in the mix with Jarrett Patterson? You would say, based on what I heard, more or less none. None. I mean, it's you're a week off from signing day, and you just eliminated Michigan. It's. I mean, they can sit there and make as much of a push as they want, but I mean, it's signing day is in six days, so it's. 
kind of it's a little late. If this was if this was over the summer or something like that, then they can continue to push. I mean, there's there's guys that they're continuing to push on. Uh, like I, you know, Steve, I think brought up in the the last podcast in which we were all together that they were going to continue to push for Tyler Friday, for instance, who's recently committed to Ohio State. That's that's a little bit different. He committed a couple weeks ago now, you know, so. So you have time to actually gain some traction if you were going to make a push. Exactly. They've already done their in-homes with Jarrett. They've already done, you know, he's already been on campus. They've done their in-homes. It's, unfortunately, it's just Michigan's out. That's just what it is. They, they really, barring something, some kind of substantial change of heart, it just is what it is. So let's talk about the other two then uh, that Aaron mentioned. Nicholas Petit-Frere, number seven in the 24-7 composite, top unsigned recruit if i if i have that correct and then calvin anderson who was rice's best player this season according to pro football focus one of the better offensive linemen and the thing with him is you know what you're going to get you know you can talk about the recruits and their potential calvin anderson is his floor is probably you know average big 10 tackle which given the rest of what michigan has i think they'd take that uh at the tackle position so I guess, what do you know about these two? I, I know Petit Frere is, is a total wild card and a total mystery. Um, and, and obviously Michigan sort of working from behind because Greg Fry, if I recall correctly, was kind of in charge of that. He's from Tampa. You know, he's he's a you know pretty good offensive line recruiter, and he obviously went to Florida State. So Drevno's had to pick up that slack. And then Drevno's also putting the push on Calvin Anderson at Rice, who at one time seemed like a Texas favorite, I guess, has... And he vis- he visited this weekend. It sounds like there's a lot of traction there. I guess, what do you know about the two? And, I mean, you don't need to t- take a guess or anything, but is there is there any updates from, from one of those two that, that might, uh, you know, maybe encourage Michigan fans who are looking for a tackle a little bit? Well, Michigan's been all in on both, uh, which has been, the, you know, the good thing. The, the thing, uh, though, with Nicholas Petit Frere is that he has his, uh, Ohio State official visit left, which is this weekend. They, they're going to get the last look. Uh, I would I would say that that's probably a solid thing, even though they're in contention. But to say that, it's like he doesn't have much time to make a decision I, I, unless he just steps foot in Columbus and absolutely loves it, which I could understand happening. Can you know? I, I particularly, I know this is not something that I should say to Michigan fans, but I want to. They can take you guys, it. I want to remind you guys. I went to school in Ann Arbor. Uh, but uh, I, I love Columbus. When I set foot in Columbus, I, I was fully intending on hating it, and I absolutely love that city. So I could see how how it could happen. But you know, Michigan got an early visit. They got and they got one during a game. You got to see the atmosphere and everything like that. Going to be at Columbus in February. You know, it's not exactly going to be warm this weekend. You're going to see it in you know in the snow and everything like that. So I feel like Ohio State, even though my source was telling me that they think Ohio State, Notre Dame, and Michigan are the three that are more in contention for him. Uh, I know Steve Wiltfong had kind of a little bit of a different take. Uh, I'm pretty sure he said uh, it was going to be Florida-Notre Dame battle. Uh, but it's, it, you know, that it, Michigan's given themselves a fighting chance. Uh, whether Fry's been gone or not, I mean, that's been long rumored. That was rumored even before he – before. Uh, Michigan came down to Tampa and Petit Frere got the opportunity to watch Michigan practice. That's not something that uh, isn't, that isn't something that the other schools really hadn't been able to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you wrote about it. You wrote about how much of a big deal that was to Eddie McDoom when right. Michigan did that a couple of years ago uh, at the, 
at the the bowl game in Citrus Orlando. Bowl, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, so it's uh, Michigan definitely has put their their best foot forward. Jim Harbaugh and Tim Drevno were just down there uh, two nights ago to visit him as well. Uh, on the other side, Calvin Anderson, it's been kind of the same. He just recently came up and visited. Uh, seemed like, he, as you mentioned, seems like Texas was in the driver's seat, but Ann Arbor, the Ann Arbor visit seemed to have changed a bit of that. And they've really been full-court press. Dre, uh, Drevno's been down to visit him a couple times. was just down there yesterday to go bowling with him. Uh, went and was down there playing top golf with him mm-hmm. less than a week ago. So they've been pretty relentless as, as far as both of been concerned, uh, you know, trying to get them in this class. No one really knows what Petit Frere is going to do. So as far as he's concerned, that's just going to be a mystery until National Signing Day when he finally says, all right, here's where I'm going. (laughs) Uh, And and I don't think that there's any inside info to really have about that. His coach had said, had told uh, one of our affiliates that his intention was to really just you know, to, to go and do his thing, meet with everybody, take it all in, and then make a decision. So I don't think he knows what he's going to do, to be honest. I think anyone that kind of thinks that they really do know what Petit Frere is going to do is just throwing darts at a board. But uh, with, with Calvin Anderson, it seems a little bit more controlled. Yeah, there's a couple more schools in it other than Michigan and Texas, but it does seem like it's a Michigan-Texas battle. And so it's going to be the question of, does he want to go back home? He's an Austin uh, native. Mm-hmm. So he has the opportunity of of going back home and being that guy. But I would say if you're looking at the teams and everything, obviously I think Michigan's got a lot more to offer for the one year he's got left in eligibility than Texas. So I think that could probably weigh heavy. And, you know, honestly, Drevno particularly has been all out trying to get these guys uh, to, to sign. I don't know that they necessarily feel – confident in either but i think they feel optimistic with both mm-hmm. well and calvin anderson's an interesting one because like petite frere i mean i know i'm not as engaged in recruiting but when i look at him i'm like well you know he's gonna visit ohio state ohio state's got a lot of rings they can put on the table that michigan can't you know they there's a lot of other five stars but calvin anderson's kind of interesting because like it's not like he he's not coming with maybe the he doesn't have the same priorities as a five-star recruit. He wants to, you know, get a get a good base for his graduate education, and he wants to make it to the league. And and maybe he, you know, he wants to play and he wants to be on a competitive team. He's not, otherwise he would stay at Rice. But you know, it's 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 a little bit more about where am I going to be comfortable? Where am I going to have a, a final season that I can enjoy? And and, and so Michigan, I think Michigan has the edge there, right? There. Oh yeah, they've definitely they've put up a pretty good case there, especially getting to the league. For as much as people are decrying, uh, you know how the offensive lines turned out, uh, you know in recent years, and it hasn't looked great for Michigan on the field. I mean, even the even their uh, their walk on guys, uh, as far as the NFL is concerned, uh, I should say undrafted free agents, as they call them. Yes, there. yeah. But you know, Kyle Kalis ended up playing a role in, in Indianapolis, you know, getting signed by Indianapolis. Uh, Eric Magnuson played mm-hmm. a role in uh, in San Francisco. He's got, you know, Braden, the one that was projected to have the biggest upside, the guy that really hasn't landed anywhere, but they're, they're playing a role. Mason Cole's projected to be a, a third-round pick this year. I'd say he's probably a pretty solid third-round pick. I, w- I wouldn't expect him to fall below that. Maybe I would, I would expect him to even 
sneak up into the second round, depending on how his testing and everything goes at the combine later this month. But, you know, look at Graham Glasgow. Uh, you know, they've, they've got guys that have made it into the league and have done, done well. What, where a lot of the naysaying comes with this particular Michigan team is the fact that the, the question marks that they have on the offensive line are guys that you probably would have said a couple of years ago had no shot of playing major minutes for Michigan on the offensive line. And Calvin Anderson is the type of talent that should be able to step in and, you know, get the visibility and be able to, you know, be able to play well enough to be able to actually use it to take a step forward and go to the league. I think Michigan does present a much better option for him to do that than Texas at this juncture. Uh, Michigan's going to have a much bigger spotlight on them and they're probably, you know, than Texas is. Texas is still in kind of in a rebuild. Uh, I know some people probably would say the same about Michigan based off the eight and five season, but that's just you know nonsense. Well, I mean, what did uh, Texas go? They weren't eight and five this year. No, they were. weren't they? They were a borderline bowl team. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they were six and six going into the uh, into bowl season, if I'm not mistaken. So they uh, Michigan. Yeah, they went seven and six. Much. Seven and six yeah. this year. So Michigan presents a much better opportunity for him uh, in pretty much all facets. Now I can't speak about who Texas has put in the league from their lines recently, but Texas hasn't really had the, uh, the guys in the middle that have, have, you know, they haven't been what they used to be either. So take that for what it's worth. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not, this is not to dog Texas. It's just, you know, as you said, even, even guys who weren't necessarily refined, who didn't have a ton of time with the coaching staff, you know, they still made, the league and their draft stock still improved from what it was before the coaches got there. So, yeah, I mean, and and I think the fact that they are really looking at academics and they are really looking at, you know, it's not, I think a lot of the issues that Michigan runs into when they recruit players from the South is that, you know, the people in their ears don't want them going to Michigan. And sometimes they have that uphill battle. So I think, I think Michigan approached it, the right way. I guess we'll see what happens. As for Calvin Anderson and what he brings, um, it's pretty pretty good. And I understand that he's playing mostly Group of Five competition, but uh, his pass blocking efficiency was was better than just about everybody. Um, I'm pulling up the numbers now, but he only allowed seven quarterback pressures all season. Uh, that would have made him the best pass blocker on Michigan's team. So. So there's that, and he's even higher rated, more highly rated in in run blocking. You know, that was kind of his bread and butter. So he would be, I think I said it in a, maybe a different podcast or maybe you know, on WTKA, but um, he's someone where he would be, uh, if he's your floor at tackle, you know, you're, you're probably in, in pretty good shape. So uh, curious to see how that goes. Um, by the way, he finished of of tackles who played at least uh, who played qualifying snaps. So at least 25% of their snaps were in pass blocking setup. Um, he allowed seven quarterback pressures in 290 quarterback or passing snaps, and that puts him 18th out of 258 tackles in pass blocking efficiency. So he would be. He might be even better than I was giving him credit for. He might be like a truly uh, positive asset. 
Anyway, we mentioned Drevno a couple times, and that brings us to our third question from Magnus, who said, so what's up with Drevno, and why is he still here? And I know I, I kind of laughed when I when I said it, because it is a very blunt question, but it is also one a lot of Michigan fans have, and I was going to bypass it, but Isaiah, you... You wanna you wanna take this one on. You wanna make your stump speech for Drevno. So I guess the question is, I mean, I guess why is he still here? I think that I, I want to start this off with by saying that I don't I don't think that he did a very good job last year. So let's just get that out there. I don't want I don't want to want it to come across as me saying you know it's all sunshine and rainbows in Ann Arbor and we should all just you know be super happy with what Michigan has. I think he had a bad year last year, but I also think that based off of the, the players he was that he had at his disposal, that he was kind of set up at a disadvantage in several ways. And the fact that, honestly, like if, if Jed Fish would have come back, not because of who Jed Fish was, not because of the quality of Jed Fish as a coach necessarily, but because he and Jed Fish already had that familiarity. They already, they already had, had what they do together. They had two years of it. So then you bring, you know, you lose Judd Fish, you bring in Pep Hamilton, and you say, let's revamp this offense, let's do it with so many young guys. Let's, you know, let's do it with what ended up being a new quarterback, you know, midseason, whether it be O'Corn or Brandon Peters. They're still not as capable as Wilton Spate was. Uh, you know, I, I know you, you, a lot of people were really down on Spate, but Spate, you, you know, a healthy Spate shows probably a much different 2017 season for Michigan. But then, you know, then you have, you have to try to find kind of a stop gap at both left tackle and right tackle. Left tackle, you end up moving your center out to, out to, back out to left tackle, which is, even though that's where Mason Cole played for his first two years, as we've heard him already say as he uh, prepares to, you know, go to the NFL draft that he's a center and he prefer to play in the middle or inside than outside. Uh, and everything like that. So he's definitely more of a prototypical inside player than he is outside. And then you just basically had a turnstile of turnstiles on the outside, uh, on the right side of the line. Uh, in That's a nice way of putting it. <laughs> yeah, I know that's not, it's not very kind, but unfortunately. No, no, uh, I mean, you're right. I mean, I was actually serious. I think that was a lot kinder than something I think most fans and maybe even myself would have said. It just didn't coalesce on that side, and it they just didn't have anyone who was able to really do the job. And then it seemed like anytime someone, like I shouldn't say someone, but any, like anytime Juwan Bushel Beatty maybe seemed like he was taking that next step forward, it seemed like you'd see him put the, put a game together, and then the next game he'd fall apart. And that was kind of what you're dealing with. And having talked with some of the people close to the program. Uh, during the season, the the impression that I got was like, "Hey, we're we you know we know what we're doing. We're showing them what to do. We're coaching them. They're they're seeming to get it in practice. They're doing it the right way. And then they get on the field, and it's like the training that we've given them is is just lost. And to me, like, there's nothing you can do about that. And yeah, the coaches didn't do a good job on top of that. I think that they were very questionable in some of their play calling. I think that they were really, they took a really, a really long time, particularly to, to you know, maybe pull 
a guy that wasn't working like when Eulogio just clearly wasn't putting it together. I, I think they took way too long to, to have the hook and go to Bushel Beatty, and they kind of messed around there. But I think Drevno gets a lot of the bad rap. I mean, Pep Hamilton obviously does too, and deservedly so since, I mean, Michigan couldn't, couldn't you know, pass with a, a guy wide open, two, you know, two yards off the line of scrimmage, it seemed. But Drevno seems to be the one that always gets the brunt of it just because the, the offensive line didn't perform well. And, you know, you're, you're looking at a, a completely new line. Uh, you always hear about how linemen are the smartest guys and that tends to be true. I mean, you look, you know, going back even like the NFL, you look at, you, you know, I think of when I think of like quality offensive lines, I think of like the Indianapolis Colts, you know, during the Peyton Manning era. And you had like guys like uh, just Saturday uh, leading the, the charge there or, you know, New England Patriots back in, you know, back in the day. And you had Dan Coppin uh, with Tom Brady there. Michigan didn't really have like leadership going along the line. And usually, as we know, you don't really – generally want offensive linemen to play until their junior year. And yet Michigan found themselves with, or found itself rather with, uh, with one seasoned veteran and then kind of like a cavalcade of uh, new guys, new faces all along the line from there. So it, to me, Drevno was just kind of set up at a disadvantage. Uh, and I know the other thing that he gets really, you know, bagged on his recruiting. And I mean, I think, I don't think he, he's not an active, like a super active recruiter. He isn't, he isn't like Jay Harbaugh or Chris Partridge, of course. And they admittedly whiffed on their 2016 class as far as they had all these guys that they were really going for. But I mean, guys like Alex Leatherwood ended up picking Alabama. It wasn't like they ended up picking, you know, like they chose UNLV or something like that. Michigan just wasn't able to close there. Most of the guys they end up going, you know, that they were really targeting were guys that end up picking, that, you know, those blue blood schools, Alabama, Georgia. I mean, two teams that end up playing in the uh, NCAA tournament. But so that was a failure still, but it wasn't as big of a failure as it's made to seem. And then you look at the commitment list that he has. Uh, you know, he, he's the one who brought in Ben Bredesen. He was a secondary there, secondary on Cesar Ruiz. Primary on Nolan Rumler, who's a 2019 guy. Primary on Michael Onwenu, starting uh, right slash left guard. Uh, primary on Chuck Filiaga. That was a huge win. He's a guy, you know, he's a top 100 guy out of Alito, Texas. Now he's got a year under his belt. He definitely could end up being a huge factor next year, you know, if he's put it all together. Uh, he's the, the lead on Jalen Mayfield. Uh, and then he's, you know, obviously now the primary on Nicholas Petit Ferrers and uh, Calvin Anderson. So, it's not that he he doesn't have a prolific uh, list like a guy like Chris Partridge or even like a guy like Jay Harbaugh, but he's done a pretty pretty decent job. Has it been unbelievably stellar? No, but he isn't asked to do a heck of a lot. Uh, I just think he gets a bad rap. I think it was a bad year. I don't think people were really that upset with him uh, last year uh, at this time uh, when Michigan, you know, it clearly. Uh, it had clearly done a pretty decent job uh, offensively throughout the course of the year, save for being able to uh, incapable of running the ball in those three games, being five points short. This year was just going to be how it was when you had all the injuries, the youth, all of that. And yes, we, we all predicted 10 and two uh, in the regular season here on this particular podcast. 
It was pretty optimistic. Uh, but things had to go that right. That was with and, the caveat, yeah, that things were going to go right and that they exceeded expectations. Instead, they probably met expectations and then stumbled a little bit with injuries at the end. Exactly. I think I think if you would have, when we made our predictions, if you would have told us two things, Wilton Spate goes down in, in game four and they end up going with uh, uh, just a, you know, different cast of characters at right tackle because things aren't working and you see, you know, three different options there over the course of the year and not because of injury, then I think, I think we all would have said, well, it's probably going to end up being like an eight and four type season. I don't think that that would have been any question. So I just think he gets a bad rap. Honestly, uh, do I think Michigan needs to make a change? I don't know. Uh, we'll see. Uh, obviously, he's got a lot more talent and a lot more upperclassmen talent coming this next year. If he's able to pull a guy like Petit Frere or Anderson, uh, that's huge. Uh, that could that could play a huge difference in you know what how the offensive line looks. Especially imagine imagine one of those guys, you know those guys come like imagine Anderson comes, uh, and let's imagine Grant Newsom's better as well. Then you're, you know, you're kind of cooking with gas there. You've got a lot of different options that you have that can work, mm-hmm. uh, you know. And then you still have you guys like Filiaga and Spinellis and Onwenu and Ruiz. You have a, a a lot of really talented guys, Bredesen as well. You know, a lot of talent there that you can work with that should make this line look a heck of a lot better. I think that everyone would be saying a different story, and let's. Let's not forget. It's not like this is his first time coaching. He's been around. He's been around the block quite a bit. He's, mm-hmm. he's you know, it, he's had success from Stanford to San Francisco to USC, and sometimes you just don't get those immediate results. And he had mentioned uh, mentioned that during the uh, during the season. This uh, used an analogy of when he was at uh, in Montana. This whole. Uh, this uh, analogy about uh, trying to get this water pump to work uh, while he was uh, a groundskeeper for uh, a baseball team out there. <laughs> and uh, he said, you got said, yeah, to keep pumping and keep pumping. Eventually that, you know, it, the water will come. And I, I, I don't disagree with that. Uh, the question is going to be, will, you know, will the water come in time for him? And that's going to be, that to me is the big thing. Yeah. For me, I'm, I'm probably not quite as positive on him. I mean, I'll never say, I or very rarely, you know, with on-field performance, I'll very rarely say something like he has got to go. Now, based on his results, if you presented me with those results and you said, Zach, should this coach stay or should this coach go? I mean, you know, I'd probably say go. I'd say I'd say you'd probably want somebody else. That said, and the reason why I don't comment on, you know, coaching this or that or to, to answer the why is he still here? I mean, the reason why he's still here is that Harbaugh wants him here, and he thinks, you know, Harbaugh thinks Michigan can succeed with him here. So, you know that, you know, in this, unless you're in the room, unless you're in Schembechler Hall, you know, you don't really have, <laughs> you don't, you don't have enough information to know what the right move is, and you also don't know. I mean, you just don't know enough, and and we don't know. I mean, we we're connected, but you know, it's just hard to tell. Did did having four offensive linemen uh, place in the bottom 20 percentile in pass blocking efficiency was that was that on Drevno? Was that on the linemen? I mean, you mentioned you know a couple a couple of the guys that were starting 
probably when they came here, or roughly shortly after they came here, weren't expected to be given starting snaps. And in in so next season, no matter who the offensive line coach will be a very pivotal one because you've got more guys who are intentionally starters, but it's still going to be a young and unproven group. I mean, let's say you don't let's let's put Calvin Anderson and Nicholas Petit Frere out of this conversation. You know, you you, you like the potential of Chuck Filiaga, uh, James Hudson, and Andrew Stuber. I mean, they they're all more intentional starters than. I think some of the other guys that were starting this year were, but that said, I mean they they got to show up or else Michigan's in a in a really really tough situation because you can maybe you can have one bad year, but if you have a bad year, your next year has to be an exceeding expectations kind of year. So that's where I stand. I I we didn't get any questions for this podcast, but I have seen a lot of questions about the coaching shuffle. You know why is Ed Werner an analyst when you know, other teams would probably hire him tomorrow for uh, assistant coaching pay rather than analyst pay. Who? What's next with Enos, especially given signing day is kind of, you know, right now. And so I guess, Isaiah, you know, maybe you don't have every every answer, but I guess what is your take on, on this coaching shuffle? How you know, do you expect there to be much more, or is it find somebody – uh, to replace Enos and then move on from there. I, I mean, I don't think you know for sure. I don't think even Harbaugh knows for sure. But I guess no. what's your what's your take on this whole on this whole shuffling and do they have a timetable for when they want to have it done? Uh, I don't I don't know the answer to that. Um, but I I I always thought that the bringing in Ed Warner. I know there was some discussion on our board about what that meant if he was going to be an analyst. I always thought that. The, the idea was that he was being named an analyst now, but was going to eventually be promoted to the staff. That's kind of it's the only thing that makes sense. Part. I mean, I know he wants yeah. to come back. He wants to be closer to his son because they were 12 hour drive apart this this past fall. But yeah, you don't you don't leave a Big Ten job and you don't have the pedigree he has to be an analyst. You you go somewhere to be a position coach. Exactly, and you know and. I, I don't know what's going to happen because if, if, I know Tennessee still hasn't filled their offensive line coach, but the fact that he hasn't taken it and he's updated his he's updated his Twitter profile since all those rumors to include more updated Michigan stuff uh, since then. So my my guess is that he's going to see this through. Um, I would imagine that he's going to see that role, and I would imagine he's going to end up working with the offensive line a bit more himself. But yeah, the Enos thing did did come as something of a surprise. I know Michigan was really excited about bringing him into the fold based off of some of my conversations and everything. And, and, uh, you know, it, but again, it's, it's, I know people were upset, but it is still Alabama until Michigan gets to the point where they've won, you know, five championships in the last, you know, what has it's been, what, 10 years, something like that. Like it's, that's, what's gonna. Yeah. It's five and nine. And honestly, Enos. I know there's the coordinator potential raise, but he was only making 150. I mean, any quarterbacks coach is getting more than that, if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, a chance to get back at your old school and a chance to be a quarterbacks coach. Maybe he wanted to be a quarterbacks coach instead of a PGC or receivers coach. So I don't blame him, but also not not Michigan's best look either, I guess. 
No, it, it isn't. I, I know Michigan definitely. I feel like they've been kind of waiting to see how some of these things kind of pan out. Um, I think that they also have been waiting to see what was, was going to happen with uh, with some of these, uh, you know, with particularly with Pep Hamilton, considering there's been those room, you know rumors that he was going to be offered and joining uh, and and joining uh, John Gruden's staff in Oakland. I think that they, they've been kind of playing wait and see with a lot of these things before, you know, things will shake out. And then they get to add the 10th assistant here shortly. So uh, I would imagine there are some changes somewhat coming. And we were seeing, the, you know, we've seen those additions with, with uh, Washington and Sharon Moore, seeing Chris Partridge move over to the safeties uh, from the linebackers, which seems to me kind of somewhat curious only because of uh, – just, just because I know Washington's had that expertise and everything, but you'd think that that Partridge would stay there. But I know they had a hadn't had the opening considering uh, considering the departure, but of Brian Smith. But it, I, I, I'm not really sure what what, what they're going to do. I think they did some kind of holding pat with what they have. I would imagine you're going to see, like I said, Warner move up, and then I wouldn't be surprised to see another like big time recruiter. That's what they need is uh, guys that can really recruit. Now, Ryan Smith wasn't necessarily like a a huge recruiter, but it seemed like he was just kind of starting to come into his own. I started hearing more recruits saying that uh, that Smith played an impact in what they were trying to do uh, and their decision-making and everything like that. And only in this last year, I know he's only been with the program for two years, but uh, it seemed like he was starting to come into his own. The guys that they did bring aboard – particularly the, uh, you know, Sharon Moore and Al Washington, big-time recruiters. Uh, I, I would like to see them go and get another guy that's going to be a grinder in that sense. And I kind of think that that's what they're trying to do now. I think that they're seeing that, you know, they've got the guys at the top. Uh, you know, even though we just talked about Drevno and some questionable things there. Uh, I mean, honestly, for the offense, Harbaugh is the guy at the top anyway. Don Brown's your guy at the top on the other side. Really, you you just need you need some guys that can carry out the vision that those two see on those sides of the ball, and really can hit the ground running when it comes to recruiting. And that seems to be everything that they're doing. I know Warner had a lot of people uh, from Ohio State. A lot of their fans said that he's mediocre as a recruiter. Uh, This last year from Minnesota, he was uh, 50th or uh, sorry, 49th overall. Uh, in the 24-7 recruiter rankings, which coming from Minnesota, that's actually pretty good. Um, not saying that they that he would necessarily be, you know, along the lines of a Harbaugh, a Partridge, or a Madison. Well, he got two four-stars from IMG to, to go to Minnesota, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, that I know a lot of Michigan fans know exactly who uh, Daniel Falele is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, having a guy that's somewhere between Drevno and Partridge, like Warner could be, that's that's about as much as you can ask for, honestly. Because I, I, Greg Fry wasn't exactly uh, particularly active uh, in recruiting either. Uh, Pep Hamilton's starting to be active in recruiting, but uh, hadn't been active really until this point. So there seems to be a shift there, and I'm expecting that whoever they bring in is going to kind of fit along with that uh, ideology. Yeah, and I know there are fans out there who are not thrilled by this because it, it's, I mean, you know, maybe it's not bad on the inside, but there is a case, you know, like if you're, if you're, um, I don't know, a, a 
receiver and you're recruiting between you're being recruited by Michigan and Ohio State, well, Ohio State's going to be like, well, they can't even hang on to a receiving coach or they don't even have it. You know, there's a lot of like little negative recruiting things that you can say. And so it adds up. I think I mean, the bottom line is you're going to have to wait it out and we'll see what happens. Obviously, the Michigan Insider has been all over every coaching change so far. So subscribe if you haven't and, and keep joining if you have. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens, but we are going to table, well, we might not entirely table football, but we are going to switch a little bit more broad, uh, and, and this is a debate that came up and kind of organically, and then it, it actually did pretty well on uh, my show Inside the Huddle uh, Thursday morning and Wednesday morning as well. W- what program has the brightest next 15 months ahead of them? And the reason why this is brought up is because, you know, we talk about the football team. They have top five, top six classes, and they're going to be sophomores and juniors this year instead of freshmen and sophomores. And then hockey, uh, you know, after kind of stumbling a little bit in December and late November, they seem to be back. They're in the top 20. They're 16th in the pairwise. If they go on a bit of a run, if they can, you know, if they beat Wisconsin this weekend, they beat Michigan State uh, the, the following weekend, maybe hang with Notre Dame, you know, make sure that they don't s- screw up against Arizona State. Well, suddenly they might be looking at NCAA tournament while being the third youngest team in the country and having a couple, like three or four more NHLers in next season's recruiting class. And then, of course, there is basketball. Now, the Wolverines are a top 25 team right now. And they have a top. I mean, the class is starting to sink. By the way, for people who keep saying it's the it's a five it's a top five class, but it's still a really good class. And it's five five positional upgrades where if you insert them, your team gets better. You know, Adrian Nunez as a backup two guard is pretty good, and that's like the lowest. DeJulius might be contending for a starting point guard job. Might just be a 15, 20 minute per game kind of guy. And then, you know, Brandon Johns, Ignis Brzdykis, uh, they're seen by our site as, you know, instant impact guys, you know, guys who can change games. And, you know, the thing with Brandon Johns is he plays the four and he might win Michigan's Mr. Basketball Award. So Michigan might have two Mr. Basketball Award winners at the four position with Isaiah Livers. So, you know, let let that battle roll out. Colin Castleton. Uh, is is very has a lot of Mo Wagner tendencies and a little bit of shot blocking defensive prowess as well. So even if he's the third string, your team gets better. So they return basically everybody. They lose Muhammad Duncan and maybe Mo or Charles Matthews uh, to NBA. Then maybe maybe they lose someone to transfer to someone who wants to get more minutes or, or more reps because it is becoming a deep team. But their future's bright too. And you can go on and on down the list. Baseball, top 25 team last year, had the best recruiting class in Big Ten history this year. It's softball, pretty much good every single year. They have the number one pitcher, freshman pitcher in the country coming in this year. And women's basketball, they're up to 13th. They might be, they might, next week, they might have their highest AP ranking all time. And so what, is the, what does their year look like? They might win a Big Ten title this year. They're still in the running. I believe, technically, they control their own destiny. So a lot of, and I, you know, I, I get annoyed when people pump things up unnecessarily. 
I'm it's just like a personal thing. I don't like it when people are like, oh, this will be the best blank ever. But it does seem like, I mean, I'm running through the, the list of years, 2011, 2012, that era, you know, before before Brady Hope kind of, the, the program kind of sli- started to slide and, and uh, before hockey started to slide a little bit too, there was like that time where all three teams looked like they could win the Big Ten each year. And then, I mean, before that, you probably have to go back to the to the 90s. You know, maybe that 98 era, that might have been the next best, 94 as well. I mean, it, it's been a while. For 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 the, all the credit the three programs get for having so much tradition and history, it's been a while since all three were going at the same time. And then even when those three were going at the same time, it's not like you had maybe some of the other other revenue sports even if it's not the same amount of revenue, baseball, softball, women's basketball, they do fill the seats. It's been a while since it was all of them at the same time. So it's an interesting question. Which sport has the most um, promising next 15 months? So we're giving everybody until the end of the 2019 season as well. And so I guess, Isaiah, you've had some time to think about it since I told you before the show. What's, uh, what ranking would you give for the sports? Uh, clearly rowing's number one. Um, well, hey, they, they got, what, uh, third nat in the nation last year? Yeah, yeah no, so. I didn't even know that. <laughs> of course, you, you, you had that right off the top of your head. Yeah. Um, it's, it's interesting because, you know, I don't, I don't follow the, the, the women's basketball or, or the hockey, uh, whatever hockey is. I don't really follow much of that. Uh, boy, rough start. You didn't admit you didn't know rowing, and then admit that you don't know what a hockey is. I don't know what a hockey is. No, I'm I'm, I'm half black man. I don't know what a hockey is. Uh, I'm, but the uh, when you look at the football and basketball teams, particularly, you know, I, I they 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 bring so much to be excited about in these next 15 months. I mean, re, re, you know, you particularly like look at this basketball team starting off. You have a team to me is kind of equivalent to as far as the talent that's on the team as like the 2013 team. Like, yeah, you don't have like those Trey Burke type, you know, type players, maybe, maybe more 2014 uh, where, where it's, it, it's got a lot of promise, but it's not quite, you know, it's not quite there yet. And then you bring in a class that's equivalent to that 20, you know, that 2011 team, uh, the, the one that competed for a championship in 2012. And that's that's unbelievable to me that you're going to have so much talent and a team that should compete, I would imagine, for a Sweet 16, Elite Eight this year, barring, you know, just honestly a failure, either a bad matchup or a failure by this team, because I think they have the talent to, to make a pretty decent run uh, considering what they're able to do when they kind of want to, it seems. Uh and then you bring in all this, this talent. You bring a lot of these game breakers that you mentioned already. Uh, watching some of the highlights of guys like Rizikas and obviously like David DeJulius is just incredible. I mean, you still got guys on this team that aren't playing, that are playing meaningful minutes, but not necessarily a ton. You know, even like, you know, uh, Eli Brooks, you know, has, has at times looked right you know, lately. It's been Xavier Simpson's looks like the best point guard, but there have been times this season when Eli Brooks looked like he had yeah. uh, the best shot to lead this team. And so that's kind of amazing that you have that amount of depth, that you have 
so many guys that can can do it, and it almost feels like kind of a reverse of, you know, from 2009 to 2010 to 2011 and 12, where you know you went from from Darius Morris led team, and it was like, well, you know, oh, they can actually make it to the tournament. They feel, you know, everyone was really excited about Michigan basketball again for the first time in a long time, and you know, and then you went from that to like, oh, now they can, now they're actually, they're going to make the tournament again. To they're going to go on a run. Now you kind of already have this feeling like they just went on a run, but they lost, you know, two of their biggest players, or actually three of those biggest players from that run to for graduation or one to the draft. And yet they look like a better team right now than they did at this point last year. Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and you know that that team last year was they uh, was. A, 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 you would you would never would have thought a Derek, you know Derek Walton putting up a game winning shot and it bounces in and out. You would have thought like oh Derek Walton with the ball in his hands to make the last shot that's going to be that's going to be a win. So they were that close to going to the going to the Elite Eight. Mm-hmm. And and the, this team right now seems better than that team was at that point. I don't know how far that gets you this year, but it, I would imagine it will get them at least to the Sweet Sixteen again, barring you know, having a bad matchup or maybe just a poor game. And and then and then you bring in all that talent. That, that's just unbelievable to me that that's where this team's headed. But then you look at the football team, and to me, the, the, my answer is which team has more promise. I'm going to say the, uh, the most promise, I'm going to say the football team, because this is what we've been – this is the year we've been looking at for a while. Whether they get it done this year or the following year, I don't know. Because honestly, 2019 might might be the better year for Michigan football overall. But when we looked, when Harbaugh got hired, we looked. You know, you looked at all, all those teams and it was like 2015. Whatever you get positive is gravy because this team failed to make a bowl. You know, a bowl game last year. This is an overhaul. 2016 was the shot. To, to, you know, the early shot at the at the championship. They came five points short from doing something special. This last year was, you know, a bunch of young guys and a bunch of injuries, and you got what you got and and everything. But this next year, especially because we don't know what's going to happen as far as, the, you know, that left tackle situation, the right tackle situation. I, I'll imagine that with the piece that, you know, even with the pieces that they have, that some of these things will work out, kind of like you mentioned Filiaga, James Hudson, you know, maybe Grant Newsom's able to come back and play and maybe he'll be able to play at a high level. We don't know that yet. Uh, but with them, the likelihood of, you know, Shea Patterson, you know, actually being cleared, uh, if he's not, you know, Brandon Peters is still a very good option. He had a bad game against uh, South Carolina, but you know what? Players are entitled to a bad game. Uh, that doesn't mean that they have a bad career. Uh Considering the spot that he had been put in, it's been pretty good. Considering, think about how Wilton Spate looked when he got to go in against Minnesota in 2015. Uh, essentially the same age uh, as far as uh, you know football experience as Brandon. Uh, that you know he yeah he was able to help kind of lead the team, but you know to the win Brandon kind of did the same in his gameplay throughout the year. Um, but didn't, you know, Wilton looked like a completely different quarterback between 2015 and 2016. 
I expect the same thing from Brandon Peters from 2017 to 20, 2018. And then yet you have, you know, Shea Patterson, you have Dylan McCaffrey. Just the amount of talent on this team is really kind of unreal. And it's just a matter of sometimes you have to take your licks and you can see how some of these things can come together. Defense is already there, of course. If the offense can just put together some semblance of, of something, and I expect them to, I expect them to take a kind of jump that they took from like, you know, not, not, I wouldn't say 2015 to 2016, because obviously in 2015, uh, you know, Rudock ended up having the second best single season in throwing the ball, but it did kind of seem like the offense was way more dynamic going from 2015 to 2016. I expect to see that type of thing where suddenly it just seems like a cohesive side of the ball. And if that can happen, I mean, there's, there's no reason why they can't win any game on that schedule. It's a hard schedule, but at the same time, they were close to doing it in 2016 with a team that I think was really good, had the potential to win, to win a national championship that year, uh, just didn't come together the way they would have wanted to. But when you consider, like, yeah, they lost on the road at Iowa at night. Things are weird in Iowa. They were a couple questionable calls from winning at Ohio State. Like, you know, and they won on the road at Michigan State. Similar type of schedule this year, you know, on the road at, uh, to open at Notre Dame. I still don't know how Notre Dame is going to be. Um, I don't think if they lose that game, I don't think it does anything to to really put to any distress on the season, uh, considering it's it's really good that it's the opening game. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think football's got the, the most to be excited about. I'm gonna go with with basketball, and and the reason is that you know I I actually do think. I think hockey will be a top 10 team because, but I, I don't think that's quite as impressive because um, the, there aren't as many teams in hockey. And and from a talent perspective, like a school like Michigan's always going to have an edge over a school like Quinnipiac or, or you know, Clarkston is, is a top five team right now or, or St. Cloud State. I mean, it's just... The, the recruiting that they do is, I mean, they're kind of like the Kentucky basketball. Like, if they're not in the top 10 or not in the top 15, something went wrong. Um, so so I, I think Michigan will be in there. The, the, I, I'm hesitant about hockey being number one because I just, I think there's a lot of schools at the top that Michigan might be a couple seasons away from un, unseating. I mean, you know, like your North Dakotas. Uh, you know, Minnesota has won every Big Ten title so far so um you know and, and then in you know so that's within the conference notre dame minnesota and uh so i think they'll be there i think i'm gonna say basketball because i i think i've seen it with my own eyes a little bit more i've seen how much isaiah livers and jordan Poole have gotten better in in this this season you know and i've seen how much xavier simpson and john teske got better in a summer and i've seen how much you know, Muhammad Ali Abdul Rahman got better. I mean, he was like a two-star recruit. Duncan Robinson was a was a zero-star recruit, but I mean, Muhammad, you know, he's just, he's just someone who gets better. And and we've seen DJ Wilson and Mo Wagner go from bench warmers to to the NBA or to NBA potential. And so so I think there's a little bit more proof in the pudding, you know. And I know 
I know it's, I think people undersell what Michigan football did in 2015 and 2016. I think people are like, oh, whatever. It was Brady Hoke's team. Well, you know, that team was going nowhere. They're not going 10-3 and three with Brady Hoke at the helm in 2015. They're just not. You know, best case scenario, they're probably winning eight games. And maybe 2016, they get a few, you know, maybe they're a little bit better, but they're not, they're not what they were. They're not beating three top 10 teams. And so, so yes, I think people undersell it, but at the same time, you know, as far as, I mean, there's a lot of questions. Who's quarterback? Is the quarterback good? Who's the right tackle? Who's left tackle? Are they good? Do the receivers actually step up? And I think, I think the reason I'm more, you know, bullish on, on basketballs, because, you know, we've said things like, oh, who's going to play center? Oh, this guy is <laughs> like, you know, oh, who's going to play the four? Oh, he is. And he's going to be a lottery pick or a fringe lottery pick or, you know, after the 2013 team. I was like, oh, how are they going to replace Trey Burke? Well, Derek Walton and Nick Stauskas did a nice job. So so like they've actually answered a lot more questions than than. And that's not a necessarily a total knock on Harbaugh because he hasn't been around as long. And I think I think football fans tend to have a little bit higher expectations because i mean think about it like this everyone looks back really fondly on that 2014 team for michigan that'd be the equivalent of like 2016 if they won the big 10 and and then got blasted in the playoffs like there'd still be fans who thought that was a disappointment so uh so i i'd say i'd say basketball i think i think there's just a little bit more you know i think i think they're going to be pretty they're i feel confident in how they will be successful at, at every position, that is not the case for football. It's I, you know, and and I think I think one thing that basketball also has is that the Big Ten is going to be a little different next year. Wisconsin will be up, I think Minnesota will be up, but Michigan State isn't going to have the same kind of recruits that they have right now. It's not going to be Miles Bridges and Jaron Jackson. You know, Purdue's losing four starters. And Carson Edwards is fantastic, but and Matt Harnes is seven foot three, but you know it's going to be a step down. And you can go down the list. I mean, it's going to be a little bit more of a wide open Big Ten. I think Maryland will be good. Indiana should be good. Ohio State, but you know Michigan. There's no reason they won't be in, in on the top group and perhaps headlining the top group from a talent perspective. So I'd say that. Uh, speaking of basketball. They, I did a story this week on on their defense, and uh, Isaiah, I'm curious because I know I know you're not necessarily by the bench, but you you get a sense from our body language and and maybe what they say in between uh, plays and things like that. Do you what is what is the camera's eye view of this defensive progression? I talked about how it's year to year, but also within this season, seems like there's a big focus on it. And I can, you know, the, I dropped the numbers in the story. They've improved by triple digits in the rankings in like every defensive category. I think the only one that they haven't is they're fouling people a little bit more now, but that's not the the biggest thing in the world. But like shot defense, rebounding, turnovers, they are just rocketing up the the rankings. They're they're now a top twenty five defense. Have you seen any anything? And and you know, obviously you talk to the players and stuff too. I guess what's your take on this defensive progress? Well, I think, you know, obviously it kind of started with what uh, with what Coach Donlin was able to, to do last year. 
really kind of started yeah. the ball rolling there. And uh, it was funny because when I was on the on the baseline this last game, when I, I was taking pictures of uh, of Coach Donlin in uh, while well, he was in the Northwestern huddle, and uh, one of the photographers next to me said, "Oh, Michigan really misses that guy." And I said, "Not really, because." <laughs> No, the job that the job that that the, the new coaching staff Luke Yaklich especially, but yeah, but to to Donlin's credit, he got Beeline to realize that defense can win you games, and I think Beeline's not like it's not like he never had a defense, but I think he realized that you can actually teach defense a little bit more in practice, um, and so then he went out and got Yaklich, who was a defensive guy. He had a top twenty defense at Illinois State. Sorry to interrupt though, but I just wanted to. You know, don't oh, you know? Yaklich is great, but Donlin also did a lot, as you said, to kind of get Michigan to think about this culture more. Absolutely, and it does seem kind of like you know, I, I look at the at the especially in the second half when I'm down in the Michigan uh, the Michigan side uh, of the of the court, it does seem like when if things start kind of getting away from them defensively, you can see the coaches kind of not as much getting on them as much as like, all right, let's get this. Let's get this stopped. Let's 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 get a timeout. Let's get this let's get this stopped. They seem to have like kind of an idea of what you know with the flow of the game. It just feels a lot different than the last couple of years as far as the way that the coaching staff has really kind of handled it. Whereas it, previously it was kind of like, all right, well, hopefully they can weather the storm and you know the offense will start being able to to do its thing. It kind you kind of can I can kind of more accurately feel. Uh, and, and when you're on when you're on the baseline, you you know you're kind of curled up in Indian style, so you're always waiting for that timeout to be able to stretch out a little bit. And so I kind of always I feel a lot less tense as I had in the previous two years because I always feel like I know when it's going to be time to stretch out because it kind of like the pacing of the game feels a lot more deliberate because it isn't strictly offense now. It's kind of they're trying to it seems like they're trying to with their paying a premium to try to make sure that the defensive side of the ball is solid. And anytime it starts to maybe kind of unravel for a second, it's like, all right, let's slow this thing down and we'll bring it back. And that's kind of when things start kind of working hand in hand and working in tandem with each other. And it starts to, it, it starts to kind of coalesce. If that makes any kind of sense, I, I don't know. I mean, that's just kind of a gut feeling as far as. Yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's, it's, it's a, and people keep asking like, oh, what's the difference? And it's a lot of things. I mean, first of all, Xavier Simpson, John Teske, Charles Matthews are more defensively inclined players. Well, they're playing way more minutes than they were last season. That's part of it. Second of all, the offense hasn't been that great. So in order to stay in games, they've kind of had to do a buckle down defense more often. I mean, I think about, you know, uh, I guess this week against Northwestern, if you're missing nine straight threes, you know, that's a kick in the pants saying you cannot let them score enough points to get to get to run away with this game. And so I think that's part of it, too. You know, as far as the, the FAQs, it's like, well, coaching's a lot better. The players are more equipped to play defense. Beeline's kind of letting practice become more defensive focused. And I think, you know, there is just an emphasis. There's an element to just, you know, giving a hoot about it because, you know, if you're if you're like a this is not a dig at him, but like say you're Nick Stauskas and you can make 44 percent of your threes and you can drive and you can score in a lot of different ways. I mean, wouldn't you want to save your energy for <laughs> for scoring? And and I think that's one thing that Michigan people. The other 
facet of this is that there's a lot of depth this with this team. You know, it's not Zach Irvin having to play 38 minutes a game or else they don't really have a backup for him. It's it's players who can a little bit more like hockey shifts where you can go hard for, you know, four or five minutes and, and they'll take you out. And that, that includes defense. And also, you know, you look at Duncan Robinson, Jordan Poole, their defense has gotten a lot better in the last month because they know they're not going to play if they don't defend. And I think they always had a feeling of that, but it's a little different when it's when it's totally real. Um, so, by the way, the other thing for basketball I want to bring up before we wrap up the show, uh, a couple of people have been asking about kind of what's next or what should we look out for this month, and specifically regarding the NCAA tournament, because Isaiah, you mentioned, you think they can be a Sweet 16 team. And I think, I don't think that's wrong. I, I think, but I do think the matchup will be interesting because they have a chance. They have a chance to sneak in as like a five seed, maybe maybe a four seed. Uh, three seeds probably not going to happen. But you know if they if they can, first of all, win all the winnable games. They've got four in a row here: versus Minnesota, at Northwestern, at Wisconsin, home against Iowa. If they go four and zero oh in that, they're going to be twenty two and six. Is that right? Yeah, twenty two and six. And then you know if they can go two and one in the final stretch, uh, home against Ohio State, that'd be a big win. Uh, at Maryland, at Penn State, those are all what's called quadrant one wins. Then go two and one in those things. They'll be four and six in quadrant one, and they will be twenty-four and seven overall. Now that's easier said than done, but I I do think it, I'm very curious over the next two weeks to see if Michigan gets even better. To, you know, because we've talked on the show like ten times about recalibrating the expectations, but you know, like if if they really start clicking offensively and don't forget their defense, I think this this team has has some of that juice, you know, that 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 tournament run juice. And so, uh, be sure to check out all of our coverage on that. By the way, we're covering that more than anybody else as far as stories and in depth and and recruiting and. You know, I have analytics. It's, it's, it's a, it's a good time. I mean, you know, if you if you want to get into a team, I think this is a this is a fun team. They play a fun style of basketball. A lot of different characters, a lot of different personalities. So be sure to check it all out at themichiganinsider.com and 247sports.com/slash/michigan. Anyway, that's gonna do it for our show. Thank you to Isaiah Hull for for joining me to talk some Michigan football. Uh, make his case for Tim Dravno and. <laughs> And talk some recruiting as well, as well as our debate about which which team has the brightest future. Curious to hear what your thoughts are, so feel free to feel free to uh, comment and and let us know. But that's gonna do it for our show. Check out all of our stories. Uh, check out all of our podcasts on iTunes if you missed any. You know, rate them, subscribe, whatever you want to do. This has been the Wolverine 24/7 podcast. Hope you had fun. Hope you learned something, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>